Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast powered by Jiffy Loop. Justin Dunk with you alongside JC Abbott. Today... We analyze an in-depth look at each CFL team's current salary cap situation. You sport athletes being invited to perform for NFL scouts. Bo Levi Mitchell wanting to follow Tony Romo's path into the booth. And CFL connections at the Heritage Classic. But first, Smiling Hank is back in the CFL. He's been hired as an offensive consultant with the BC Lions, reuniting with head coach Rick Campbell. The two won a great cup together with the Ottawa Red Blacks. Can Henry Burris help Canadian QB Nathan Rourke develop into a Hall of Famer? The Lions certainly hope he can, but this is a bit of an unusual situation, as it were, Dunk, because Burris is not going to be with the team for the entire year, at least not in person. He's going to be an offensive consultant, which means he'll be there for training camp in Kamloops. He's going to visit occasionally, but most of his work is going to be done from his home in Chicago over Zoom, meeting with Rourke virtually. So it's sort of unprecedented within the coaching ranks to do something like this. But because of the relationship between Rick Campbell and Henry Burris and and just how much knowledge knowledge Burris has to offer, the Lions are really willing to take that risk. First of all, I like the flexibility here. We're living in a COVID world and dare I say getting closer and closer to sort of life with COVID now where people are learning to live with the virus and deal with things in a different way. So I like the fact that something that is usually sort of hard and fast in football terms, at least where you got to be there all the time and you got to be the first guy in and last guy out, so to speak, the common cliche, that there is a way that the lines have figured this out. And it makes sense for Burris. He's moved his family all around North America. They settled in Chicago now and like it there. Kids are in school. His wife likes the city. So from that perspective, it makes a lot of sense for the Lions to come, I guess, part way here and say, all right, you can work from home for the majority of the time and still get in a lot of time over Zoom or whatever other medium they're going to use to watch film with Rourke and go over the details and the mechanics and break down the game film as this season goes along. So ideally, from BC's perspective, there's a foundation set in place at training camp, and then Burris can refer to those things and continue to develop on them as the season goes along. I really like this for Rourke especially, and even Michael O'Connor as well, two young Canadian quarterbacks to get to learn from a Hall of Famer that was in the CFL for a number of years, and then also more recently was with the Chicago Bears. And although he wasn't in the quarterback room with Justin Fields, who was a first-round draft pick by the Bears, was with a guy that has that dual-threat ability. Now, that's more in the mold of Rourke. So I'm curious to see if these great minds, in terms of what Burris can bring to the table from the NFL and learning from Matt Nagy, who's a well-respected offensive guru in the NFL, can help Rourke 
reach that potential that the Lions feel he has. I see a lot of parallels here to something, maybe this is a bit of a deep cut dunk, but to the 2015 Vanier Cup team at UBC, which Michael O'Connor, currently the backup uh, for the BC Lions, was the starting quarterback for. That season, many people don't realize, uh, because of connections between uh, David Sadu, and, uh, who was the financial backer for the team, and Warren Moon, the Hall of Fame quarterback on both sides of the border, Moon came up here for training camp in Vancouver, worked personally with Michael O'Connor, and then throughout the season, the two stayed in contact after every game, before every game, discussing film, uh, what O'Connor needed to do to improve, and it powered the team to a Vanier Cup. Now, Burris is going to be a little bit more hands-on, a little bit more active in the day-to-day than Moon was, but there's a lot of parallels there in terms of a, a coach that's not necessarily present all the time, but has a Hall of Fame pedigree, a lot of knowledge to impart on a young Canadian quarterback. Hold up. Are you saying that the Lions are going to win the Grey Cup? <laughs> that's that's not, not what I'm <laughs> saying. I'm saying uh, maybe they're a team that can surprise us a little bit. I would agree. I think that Rourke certainly has an intriguing skill set. And we know Burris, for the most part, to be pretty honest, I think there's a little bit of hyperbole when he's talking about seeing similarities between Justin Fields and Nathan Rourke, because if you look at just their pure athleticism, Fields is bigger, faster and stronger. But I don't think it's that far off in terms of what Burris is saying. So clearly the Lions had decided to go this direction even before bringing Burris on staff. And for Burris, this is a big opportunity, right? He was in Chicago for a couple of years. He talked to some other NFL teams, was looking at potentially staying in the NFL as a coach, but he gets a young quarterback who's in a situation that in the CFL really is unprecedented and has an opportunity to prove that he can develop him and make him into one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. It's absolutely a proving ground for Burris. If he can make Rourke everything that we think Rourke can be, the NFL is going to come knocking. There are going to be CFL head coaching gigs in his future. If he wants them, the doors open wide as can be if he, he can get Rourke to where he needs to go. And as a stout Canadian quarterback backer, I hope Burris can work all of his magic on Rourke to let him reach that hype and even go way beyond it because we know it would do great things for the league overall and especially for Canadian quarterbacks in the future. JC, you had a comprehensive breakdown of each CFL team's current salary cap situation using all of the contract data obtained by Three Down Nation. How did it all come together? A bout of temporary insanity, perhaps, on my part. <laughs> um, it, was, uh, it was a lot of work dunk, uh, hours and hours pouring over contract data. Um, I would say about 95% of it is the actual numbers and figures direct from the contracts that are inputted into the league. So this is fairly accurate estimates of, of what teams cap situations are, are going to be like. There's some assumptions, as always, in terms of how rosters are going to shake out. I tried not to make any shocking moves or anything like that. And, and teams may be a little bit more risky with some of their decisions than I were. Uh, I was. Um, but these numbers are something that fans need to be able to see in the offseason. This is the only major pro league where this type of information isn't readily available. And, and people will say, oh, well, 
there's so much that goes into it. You can't actually project the cap. And that's true, but that's, that's true in every single league. There's always going to be performance bonuses and unexpected things like that and injuries that affect the cap. That happens in the NFL, but there's hundreds of websites that will tell you uh, what potential cap numbers are for, for NFL teams. So this was, to me, a very necessary step uh, in terms of getting that information out in front of fans. It really was, and it's the first of its kind. And kudos to you, JC, because I've had this idea in my mind for a number of years now, having access to the contracts. And I just honestly was not a math major in high school or even university and didn't think that I could go this far. But you just took it and ran with it. And it gives us an idea of where teams are at right now. And you mentioned this, and I think it's important to put in context, that it's a projection of the roster's that we could go into the season with. Now, those rosters could be changed during the upcoming CBA talks. That could mm -hmm. definitely impact this. And then the other part of it is the moves that are made between now and into the regular season and all the way through the season, right? We had one that just happened that affected the Argos cap situation when Toronto decided to release ratio-breaking Canadian offensive lineman Jamal Campbell. And I know you got the deets on that. Yeah, I had the Argos to begin my projection as the top spending team in the entire league. They were, we had a projected cap of, of 5.3 million. Of, of course, we don't know what the actual number will be because of the CBA, but that's what teams are using as their projection right now. And the Argos were more than $100,000 over it, according to my math. Uh, so putting that out there on that day, I was about 95% sure I was right. When the Argos released Jamal Campbell, who was set to earn about $200,000 if he uh, started every game next season, um, I knew for sure I was right, that the Argos were in a tight cap situation. And, and that necessitated that they had to release a guy of, of that caliber, someone who's a ratio breaker who can start at, at tackle and start capably at tackle. He'll be valued highly around the league for sure. There'll be a landing spot for him soon no doubt um but for me personally it was a it was almost a little bit of vindication uh dunk or or uh, you know to feel like i actually nailed uh, nailed it on this one man i think what happened is the argos read your piece in the morning and thought <laughs> oh shoot we better do something to get under the cap and then we know that three donations is going to update it and all of a sudden the argos are under the projected 5.3 million so I think that's a great example with the Campbell release in terms of how quickly the salary cap situation can change, mm -hmm. right? A lot of people over the last few years, I feel like, just come out on social media and say, the Argos are over the cap. How are they signing all these players, especially these NFL stars that have come north of the border after flaming out south of the border? But it really shows you that literally day by day, the cap is being worked on, managed, and looked at. It's not a number that you set after free agency and you just go through the rest of the season, right? You have injuries, you have guys that either hit bonuses or don't hit them or play more than are expected or play less than are expected. So literally, you know, you talk to some of these capologists, dare I say, around the league who know the salary cap really well and work on it for their respective teams, especially during the season. It's literally day by day. You're figuring that thing out going into every single game. And sometimes roster decisions are made based on where you are 
in terms of the salary cap. So I thought the Campbell example was a great offseason example of how the Argos were looking at that situation themselves and saying, you know, we got to make sure we're in and around this number at least going into the mm-hmm. season. Now, you can do things like one Mr. Jim Pop used to do, and Chris Jones has started to be famous for this as well, when you bring players to training camp and get all the way through it and then sit them down and say, hey, we really like you, but we need you at this X amount on your contract. Otherwise, we're going to release you and you can try to go make another team and you're behind the eight ball because you weren't in training camp with any of those other teams. So sometimes they squeeze these guys for the pennies that they know they need to get under the salary cap. So that's the other part of this, right? We see the sexy side, all the free agent signings, the big CFL dollars that are thrown around. But the flip side of it is when teams have to release guys and work with the salary cap to get under it. Yeah, in reality, uh, you don't have to be under the cap until the end of the year. So that's when all these numbers come to fruition, not at the start of the year, at the end. And everything along the way affects it. The way these contracts are structured is that salary and, and housing uh, money and, and things like that are on a game-by-game basis. So if a guy is on your six-game injured list, that doesn't count against the cap. If you cut a mid-season, you're not paying the rest of his salary. If he doesn't play in the game, you're not paying certain things. And there's all sorts of incentives that you may or may not have to pay depending on how a player performs. So you don't know how much you're actually spending on a player until the year is fully over. Um, And and you can manage things accordingly uh, on that front. And literally yep. over, like the awards season, right? That can affect the mm-hmm. cap. If a guy wins CFL MOP, the majority of the bonuses that I've seen for those range between three to $5,000, but that can alter it. And until Trevor Hardy, who works for the league office, he's kind of the salary cap policeman, comes around to check and audit your salary cap, that's the only time you need to be underneath it. And there's some people out there, JC, that will argue, hey, if you're the Saskatchewan Rough Riders this year, Go over by $99,000. All you have mm-hmm. to do is pay a dollar for a dollar, and it could be worth it if you're going to win the Great Cup. For the first time ever, four U Sports athletes have been invited to an NCAA Pro Day at the same time. Heck, Crichton Trophy winning QB Trey Ford, his brother Tyrell Ford, JP Metris winner Deontay Knight, and Queens defensive lineman Anthony Federico will perform for NFL scouts at the University of Buffalo on Thursday. What does the unprecedented group say about the football talent being developed in Canada? It says, man, that people need to recognize, all right, that you don't just necessarily have to go to the NCAA to get viewed by NFL scouts. And we're seeing this more and more over the years. But in my mind, these four dudes going to the Buffalo Pro Day are really making this an even more legitimate Pro Day because there's not necessarily a featured guy that the Bulls have coming out and going into the NFL draft. So there's been a lot of NFL interest in Trey Ford. And no, I'm not just saying that because I'm a Canadian quarterback backer. There's a legit, serious interest. Teams have been doing their research on him, calling head coach Chris Bertoia at the University of Waterloo and doing all the background stuff that they need to do to get all the information they can on Ford. Tyrell Ford, his brother, is a dynamic athlete explosive i'm very curious to see what both of those guys run in the 40 trey ford (laughs) recently on the track has run a 6.8060 meter now if you translate that over 
it's about a four two range 40 but that said you're on a track and track spikes and you're really rolling at the last 20 meters or so i've been told from some track experts so i think ford's going to run really well he'll be in the four threes and four fours from what i've been told in terms of his testing going into that so if he does that and with all these athletic quarterbacks in the nfl jc getting more and more looks it could be a legitimate possibility maybe he's at the back end of the draft possibly that's a long shot but i could see him if he does really well at the pro day especially getting an undrafted free agent deal as for deontay knight that dude is a beast he can play inside and outside we know you got to be multiple in the NFL these days and Federico shouldn't go under the radar either. He had seven sacks was right there. Second in the nation behind night in that category. And is a high motor type of a guy. I had the chance to, to see three of these guys live and in person, everyone except night, unfortunately uh, at the college Bridard showcase in, in January. And they are absolutely legit NFL caliber guys. They, they did not look out of place against top NCAA competition at all. And Ford, Trey Ford, <laughs> he might have been the fastest guy there. When that guy takes off with the football in his hand, there is not a person in the world capable of catching him. He is lightning fast, lightning fast. I'm so excited to see what he runs in the 40 because I think it's, it's really going to be a blazing time. Uh, now you touched on it. I think this is what's truly unique about this situation is that you're drawing the Canadian talent across the border for this pro day because the talent at the University of Buffalo this year is not necessarily enough to attract enough NFL scouts. So this is a situation where the Buffalo Bulls are like, hey, we need to get some of these Canadians down here just so our <laughs> guys get a look. That's never happened before in, in my books. And I think that's pretty special. It's certainly rare, and the fact that these four guys are going means that it's expected at least over 10 NFL teams are going to be in attendance and possibly more, right? You talk to some people in and around the pro day, they think there's a chance for 15 or 20. Now, don't hold me to it because oftentimes travel can get in the way and teams will tell you they're coming, but something else comes up and they don't end up showing up. But I get the sense that there's at least going to be over 10 there, and to get those eyeballs especially on U sports athletes is really key. So I think, and you mentioned this a little bit, if Ford runs really fast, that puts him in a position where I think he could get signed. There's even some people behind the scenes that feel like he could be a late round NFL draft pick if he runs super well. And you look at guys and I'm not going to compare them because they're not even in the same stratosphere right now, but it seemed like the Baltimore Ravens with Lamar Jackson. Mm -hmm. You look at that dude and what he has been able to do and sort of change the mold. Russell Wilson as well. They've kind of taken height out of the equation and showed, shown that dual threat guys can get it done in the NFL. Now, Ford would certainly need some development. He is not at Jackson's level or Wilson's or anybody else that's in that mold in the NFL right now. But if you're a team that can see into the future and you love his tools, you could understand why, especially if he runs well an NFL team would take interest and sign him to a contract. I think similar could be said for Deontay Knight. He's sort of a late budding player, right, in terms of what he did at Western University. I think they gave him some structure there, got the best out of them, out of him, I should say. He has the bloodlines. His dad was a 
pro Dwayne Knight played linebacker for the Ottawa Rough Riders. And in my mind, that's definitely going to help him. Now he needs to show that he's explosive because there's some people out there that wonder if he's a little too stiff. So you want to see that athleticism from him and the bend around the edge and the drills that he's going to do. But I think he's another guy out of this quartet that has a legitimate chance to get a shot in the NFL. I think in the, at the end of the day, Knight's going to get signed to a, to a free agent contract at the least after this coming NFL draft. We'll see what happens, man. It's always unpredictable down there, but the fact that they're getting a look and pushing up the prestige of this Buffalo Pro Day speaks to the talent that is in Canada. And I've been saying it for years, JC, I know you would agree. People need to watch these guys at the U-sports level mm-hmm. because you could have seen Deontay Knight play in the Vanier Cup game on CBC. I was honored to be able to share the booth again with Mark Lee there. And the guy was a wrecking ball. He was really the leader of that defense, an energetic dude. And if you just pay attention to the Canadian University football that's happening all around our cities in Canada, you would understand the level of athlete that it requires now to play at a high level in U-sports. Calgary Stampeders franchise quarterback Bo Levi Mitchell is considering the Tony Romo route. After his playing career is over, Mitchell was an analyst for TSN during the 108th Grey Cup in Hamilton. Could Bo be great in the boot? I think he already is. When he was on the broadcast at the Grey Cup, he was absolutely fantastic. I thought he was one of the most engaging uh, CFL panelists all season. Uh, even more engaging than the guys who do it full time. He has that skill set. I think he would be brilliant in the booth, and it's something that TSN desperately needs. Uh, they've started to get younger with their, their play-by-play guys in recent years, which I think was needed. And that's not a knock on, on the older guys. They're iconic. They're nostalgic. I love them all, but you do have to get younger at some point, develop that young talent. And right now, there really isn't a, a, a replacement in place or, or someone in that can slide into that role if if Dwayne Ford was to get an opportunity in a CFL front office or Glenn Suger decided it was time for retirement. They need that next guy, and they need someone who's going to engage young fans. Bo Levi Mitchell, to me, is that guy. In my mind, what they really need is competition here. We see it in the NFL all the time in the offseason, right? We just saw Joe Buck and Troy Aikman leave Fox and go to ESPN. Yes, they're getting paid handsomely, and it's totally different from a financial perspective, but Drew Brees goes from retirement right into a position with NBC and Sunday Night Football. And it seems like, you know, except for a few dudes who've been around for a long time, that there's always competitions for those, competition for those coveted spots. So that's what I would like to see at TSN, because I think there's some people, I'm not going to name any names, but that have been there for a long time, and we need a fresh voice. Bo Levi Mitchell would certainly add that, but we don't know. He could play for another two, three, four, five, six years. Heck, like we've seen quarterbacks like Tom Brady play in their mid-40s. Now, Bo Levi Mitchell's obviously had injuries of late, but we don't know how long that's going to take. So I would like to see some more competition in there. And not just have the same guys year after year. Because ultimately, that's going to be what makes the broadcast better. Mitchell certainly seems to have a knack for it. He hosted a radio show on Sportnet, Sportsnet 960 in Calgary for a while. And then with the uninterrupted, he had his uh, Benny and the Bow show. So in my mind, he's gotten some reps. But it's clear that 
he's a natural. Now, part of it in my mind is because he's used to talking to the media. He's used to having the microphone and camera right in front of his face all the time because of the status that he's developed and the resume that he has being a two-time great cup winner and a two-time CFL MLP. But to me, you can see it. It would be a natural transition for Bo Levi Mitchell. And I think it would be a great move for TSN whenever his playing career is finished to get him in there. I couldn't agree more. I think what TSN really needs, regardless of if, if it's Bo Levi Mitchell or, or somebody else, they need to really develop a, a third pairing that they can put in place. Right now, Matt Dunnigan sort of fills that role when they need it, but they want they need someone younger who they can develop, who can take the reins. Right now, they simply don't have that guy, and, and they need one desperately. Now, Alouette's quarterback, Trevor Harris, has over $100,000 riding on beating out Vernon Adams Jr. for the starting job in Montreal, Doug. If you had to make a betting line right now, who would be the favorite to start more games in 2022? It would be Vernon Adams Jr. because he got more upfront money, even though his signing bonus went on the 2021 salary cap. And what Harris could make in 2022 compared to Adams Jr. this year is in and around the same amount of money for the 2022 cap. I do believe that Kahari Jones is a Vernon Adams Jr. backer. He's been the reason why they've continued to go with Vernon Adams Jr. And obviously that 2019 season was absolutely special. And there are people that will tell you around the league that when Vernon Adams Jr. is on, he is one of the most dynamic quarterbacks to play against in the league. Arguably, maybe the toughest. The tricky part with Adams Jr., and I love his playing style. Don't get me wrong here. It kind of reminds me of how I used to play the game when I was just at Little University of Guelph. But when he gets cold and starts making some mistakes, then it seems to really go the other way, where a guy like Harris is very even keeled in his approach, right? Doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. We've never seen him swing a helmet at an opponent, for example. He kind of has that Ricky Ray mentality about him. And of course, he learned from Ricky Ray way back when he got into the league with the Toronto Argonauts. So in my mind, it's certainly Vernon Adams Jr. going into the season. But you look at their contracts and you can see that, I mean, if you get into games, especially down the stretch or the Alouettes get off to a rough start, that at least you have this other guy that you can go to. And I'll add a little more juice to it. There's some people around the league that will say it's essentially Kahari Jones and Vernon Adams Jr. on one side and Danny Machocha and Trevor Harris on the other side. So Machocha has insulated himself well in terms of being able to potentially cast off Jones if he needed to in that situation. And who do you think Machocha is going to go with? A guy that when he was with Edmonton back in the day winning a Grey Cup, who was his quarterback, JC? That was Ricky Ray. Exactly, my man. So he's got a guy in Harris who he feels like is similar. I'm not saying they're exactly the same, but very similar. So that tells you that Harris is the type of quarterback that Machocha would tend to like more often than not. I agree with you, Dunk. I, I do think it's going to be Vernon Adams Jr., but I also think we need to cut that clip and send it directly to VA because he has some uh, – thoughts uh, about you to the contrary where you're not so big a fan of him which isn't the case you have a great deal of respect for him as a quarterback but what has concerned me throughout this entire prospect and or process 
and I'm sure is concerning the Montreal front office, is how VA has responded to the competition in the building. Uh, you know, tweeting stuff out, deleting his Twitter account, coming back, you know, attacking articles that, that simply bring up contractual figures that are completely in play in, in, this, in this situation. Um, that's not the stuff that a, a real franchise starting quarterback does. It's not the stuff Ricky Ray would have ever done. That man had a Hotmail account in, in 2015. Uh, he, he was not on Twitter going after people. It's not a good look for the franchise, and, and, and I think VA needs to take a hard look in the mirror. If he really wants to keep that franchise job in Montreal, he's got to handle his stuff off the field just a little bit better. Yeah, there's been some comments on social media, and to be honest, I don't really read my mentions too often. I just post the facts and then go back to my business of whatever I happen to be doing. But in no way, form, or fashion am I trying to pit two teammates against each other. You hit the nail on the head there, JC. I hate using cliches, but it's true in this case. It's just the contractual facts. There's going to be competition, right? Vernon Adams Jr. wants to start, and Trevor Harris wants to start. And if you don't want to start, you should not be anywhere near any professional sport in any way, form, or fashion, or anything, okay? In my mind, the facts are the facts. We saw the contractual terms, and Harris, who is a calculated dude, looked at the situations across the league and felt like his best path to playing time is in Montreal. Part of that, obviously, was because he played well down the stretch. It looked like, from the outside at least, that he picked up Kahari Jones and his offense very well and the two seem to get along together now i'm not saying that there's a controversy there at all but that's just the facts harris could have gone elsewhere that also is a fact but he chose to go back to montreal in a year that to be honest is critical for harris right he's trying to recoup his value so when he goes back potentially on the open market next off season that he can get back to making four, $500,000 that he's used to making. So that's why, in my mind, it's a very intriguing situation in Montreal. As someone, there, who, sorry, as someone who looked at the cap numbers, those contracts are designed a certain way for a reason. And the reality is because that bonus to VA was last year and it counted against the 2021 cap and not this year, the Alouettes have the flexibility to make that move if they need to, because he that 190000 I know you made that investment, but it's throwaway money at this point. It doesn't hurt you down the line. So if you want to move on and, and go to Trevor Harris, there's only cap savings for you. Machoch is a smart guy, and we know in pro sports, JC, it's all about wins, and that's all that matters. So VA keeps winning. He'll keep that job. There was lots of CFL talk around the NHL's Heritage Classic in Hamilton. Maple Leafs GM Kyle Dubas is a longtime Ticat season seat holder. What? Former D-man torn Sportsnet analyst Kevin Bieksa used to ride on his dad's Harley Davidson to games at Iverwin, and Mitch Marner took an unprovoked shot at the Tabbies. Do those connections make the CFL seem cool? Absolutely, it does. It's super cool to be able to see those things you know, watching the Heritage Classic, I'll, I'll admit, I haven't watched very much NHL in recent years. I'm, I'm a hardcore CFL guy, but being able to watch that game, seeing the broadcast talk about, uh, you know, Angela Mosca and, and Joe Zuger and, uh, you know, downtown Angie Brown's catch and different things like that. It brings the CFL to a whole new audience. It, it legitimizes it. It's super cool. But what I want to know is how Kyle Dubas has had season tickets for that long and TSN has not once panned to him in the crowd, not once brought it up. I mean, come on, guys. 
<laughs> they leave it to their rivals, Sportsnet, to get it out of them. He's had season tickets with the Ticats for over a decade, for the people that don't know. Now, you can judge Dubas on the job that he's done with the Maple Leafs, but the fact is, and I hate saying this because obviously we enjoy the CFL and we've grown up on Canadian football, the NHL is seen as a legitimate pro league in this country, and it's viewed as such by the majority of the people in Canada. So when you pull out these connections, and as you said, you show it to a different audience, and you get people out there understanding that, hey, Dubas is actually a legitimate fan of the Ticats. Like, he's into this. That's going to bring people into it as well. Mitch Marner, a noted Argos fan, took that shot at the Ticats saying, oh, well, the Argos usually win here, which – Definitely is not the case. We got on our fact-checking mission. The Ticats are 15-7, and seven, including 9-2 and two at home against the Argos since 2014 when Tim Hortons Field was open. And oh, by the way, Hamilton's best win-loss record all-time against any CFL team happens to be against Toronto, 139-99-2. So Marner needs to do a little bit more CFL research, but he's talking about the CFL. You got Austin Matthews believing he could play quarterback in the Canadian Football League and throw game-winning touchdown passes. So as much as some people think that this is maybe not exactly hard news that should be up on 3-Down Nation, it, legitimate, it legitimizes the CFL in a lot of people's minds when it has this appeal to stars and guys that are covered heavily on a daily basis, right? There are tons of outlets, at least practices, every day and even more at their games. So whether you like hockey or not, this was great crossover content. And to be quite honest, I think it's something you mentioned this earlier, that TSN needs to go after even more, more of the crossover content. The CFL should be going after this stuff. Like I was surprised the league website, CFL.ca, didn't have any content off the Heritage Classic, even just with the game being there. JC, you came up with a great piece and looked at the attendance compared to the 108th Grey Cup game, and it didn't even get to that. So I think that is a very intriguing note on its own. There was so much around it, and it helps build credibility for the CFL. You look at what the Ticats were able to do with Simone Lawrence, who's an extremely charismatic CFL star, a, a guy who could hold a microphone and, and be out in front of the cameras and get them to interview some, some NHL stars, get that on the NHL social media page. I don't know why the league doesn't do that more with other stars, get that crossover content in, in so many Canadian cities, you've got multiple pro sports teams and we really don't do enough uh, to get the stars from both teams uh, in the same room, uh, get them razzing back and forth, having a dialogue getting that content in front of fans. I'm pretty sure Johnny Goudreau, Johnny Hockey out in Calgary, has a relationship of some sort with Bully Levi Mitchell. Like, get Goudreau out to a Stamps game. I think he'll draw more people just because he's there. And credit to Marner. He's actually shown up and been on the sidelines and been at BMO Field for Argos games. So I'm with you. We need to pull out some of these aspects. And you can't just have the football game played. Have something that will bring somebody that maybe has never watched a CFL game before, but they're going to show up because they could get an autograph from Goudreau, Marner, or people of the same ilk. Even though Mr. Hodge isn't with us, we still have a Hodges heritage moment. On this day in 1984, Jake Kadar was inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. He was the fourth commissioner of the CFL and led the league through an era of unprecedented growth. 
He remains the longest serving commissioner in CFL history from 1968 to 1984. JC, what do you remember about Mr. Goddard? Well, Goddard was well, well before my time, Dunk. But I think about a guy who was a CFL lifer. I mean, he was born in 1920, but he won a great cup in 1942 uh, as a member of the Toronto RCAF Hurricanes. That was a team made up of service members in in the Canadian Air Force. And many of them went over in in World War II and and died in Europe. Now, Goddard was never able to go to Europe in active service, but he kept a photograph of that great cup team on his desk. So he could always remember the, the sacrifices of his teammates and, and those relationships. But also from a growth perspective with the CFL, we simply wouldn't be where we are today uh, without what Jake Goddard was able to do. I, I think of you know, his response to the separatist movement in, in Quebec uh, and his insistence that it was important for the league to host a Grey Cup in that situation in, in Montreal, despite the fact that the, the Francophone Anglophone tensions uh, were very much centered on, on the CFL at the time. I mean, there was assassination threats against Russ Jackson for crying out loud. So this is a guy who, who didn't blink in the face of that and, and really helped grow the CFL because of it. He'll be remembered for a long, long time. Let's get to it. The three minute drill powered by Jiffy Lou. 50-year fan Bill Edwards Jr. drives around Saskatchewan with green-lettered Argos on his license plate. How loyal is that, man? More loyal than me. You wouldn't catch me dead in Saskatchewan with another team's name on my license plate. (laughs) Veteran receiver Jalen Saunders is looking to make a CFL return after recovering from a nasty car accident. Who would he help most? Ooh, a dude that I think could still be a burner. I think the Ottawa Red Blacks should bring him back there, but that's just me and he has a history with Jeremiah Masoli. Riders president Craig Reynolds sent Grey Cup swag to fans affected by the hotel fiasco. Now that's proper Western hospitality, right, JP? Absolutely, and certainly better ones than, than what the hotel showed. Uh, star Canadian running back Andrew Harris has been refereeing amateur hockey during the offseason. Could he be dominate on the ice, too? I can see it. And it seems like, hey, if you're an official, man, you got to keep up with the pace of play. And I know he plays some offseason hockey as well. So it'd be intriguing to see. Is he a forward or one of those nasty D-men that we see out there? The Elks signed the real Yes, I said it. Real 108th Grey Cup MVP kicker Sergio Castillo. How important was it for Edmonton to sign him? Well, uh, their kicker before him on the roster was Greg Hutchins, who I watched at UBC and was, how do I put this, not very good at all. So it was vital for them to uh, sign Sergio Castillo. Elks leader Victor Cuey uh, has launched president and CEO for a day uh, with the Winifred Stewart Association. Yeah, another stroke of gold for Mr. Cuey. Definitely. This guy, just everything he touches, man, turns to green and gold, you should say. Former Blue Bombers all-star Fred Reed has been hired as the Red Blacks running back coach. Can he help improve Ottawa's offense? Absolutely. I mean, anything would be better than uh, what Timothy Flanders was able to put on the field last year at the running back position. The Indianapolis Colts have added former Alouettes receiver Brian Bratton to the coaching staff as offensive quality control coach. 
Do we think former CFL QB and current Colts offensive coordinator Marcus Brady had anything to do with it? Yes, of course. It's all about relationships, but it's cool to see another CFL connection in the NFL, especially on the same staff with Brady, who I believe used to throw passes to Brad. The Houston Texans have resigned Canadian tight end Anthony O'Clair. Sneaky, strong signing. He's a guy who can do all the nasty stuff that no one else wants to do. He's the type of guy you build a team foundation around, and the Texans need that. The Seahawks have tendered Canadian offensive lineman Dakota Shepley, which means he'll be in Seattle for the 2022 season. Can he win the starting center job? I think he can do it. He might be a little bit biased because he's from Canada, but that dude is athletic, strong, just needs an opportunity to be a starter, and hopefully he'll get this. Yes, sir. <laughs> Former Riders linebacker Sam McGuavin has inked an extension with Miami Dolphins for $2 million USD. How vital is he to the Finn special teams? He's essential. He's a core teamer, but I want to see him on some more defensive reps. The New York Jets re-signed Canadian defensive lineman Nathan Shepard. Will we ever see him in the CFL, Dunk? At this point, I don't think so. The Hamilton Tiger Cats hold his negotiation list rights because he went undrafted a few years back in the CFL draft, but he's made enough money in the NFL. I doubt he ever comes to Canada. Philadelphia did not tender former CFL All-Star linebacker Alex Singleton. That means he's an unrestricted free agent. It's about time he gets paid. I agree, but I'm not sure how much money is going to be out there on the open market for him. Linebacker is not a position anymore that people are spending big bucks on in the NFL. You could still get a couple million. But that's it for this edition of Three Down Nation Podcast. Make sure to tune in next week. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.